0: If you have not already gotten a syllabus for this quarter, they are on the AV ledge. We're studying the reign of King Solomon, and uh, we're going to be looking at Solomon himself, we're going to be looking at the temple, we're going to be looking at the things that were going on during that period of time, and why it was such a glorious time in the history of Israel. I want to read something and see if you recall who said this. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Who said that? Jesus. Jesus. Matthew chapter 12, I'm reading from Matthew chapter 12 verse 42, and at the time he was being questioned, the Pharisees and scribes said to him, give us a son, and he had already healed a demon-possessed man and mute, and he had healed this person, and yet they're still saying, give us a sign. we want to see a son, and we'll, I guess, believe, maybe, but he goes on to say that in, verse, in Matthew 12, verse 39, you have your signs. Actually, I think what he's saying is you that rest in the law, you put so much of your confidence in the fact that you are the caretakers of the law. Go back and read that law. Matthew 12, verse 39, he says, go back and think about Jonah. He is a lesson in the resurrection. Verse 40. And then verse 41, he says, go back and read about the men of Nineveh that he preached to. They're a lesson in repentance. And go back and read about Solomon, verse 42. Read about the Queen of Sheba. Now the scribes and the Pharisees were well known to travel far distances to stay on the heels of Jesus. They would go up into the area of Galilee and track him and and try to trap him or whatever they could do they were well known in going far distances to hear Jesus but you see Jesus is turning this on a dime and says the queen of sheba she traveled a far distance to hear the wisdom of Solomon what a lesson he's teaching them there in Matthew 12 verse 42 Well, you know, we could read a passage like this and we wouldn't really understand Solomon, and we're forced to go back to the Old Testament to understand what it was that was so great about Solomon. When we read this passage, we don't see so much of that here. So that's why we benefit from studies like this, where we spend a quarter or we're going back to the Old Testament studying these passages for one reason, so we can understand the New Testament better when we see passages like this. So now let's go back to 1 Chronicles chapter 22, where we'll begin our study. And I look forward to the study with you, and let's just make it a great study and uh, glean all that we can and should out of this. We're going to begin here because some of the things that we're going to talk about this week particularly maybe next week, is an overlap of what we studied uh, previously about David. This week we're going to look at all the preparatory things that were involved in getting ready for Solomon to take over, for Solomon to build the temple, all of the resources, all the labor, all the materials that that was required to do so in the proper way. And we're going to look at all that effort here uh, tonight, what what took place, and then we'll get into Kings next week. But if you will look at the the beginning at 1 Chronicles chapter 22, and if you will uh, bear with me, I'm a little bit uh, handicapped here, my screen is not showing here, so I'll have to bend my neck around and see if I can see it. Okay, before we do, let's look at this chart here to see where we are in the Old Testament. All of these are Old Testament periods, and we are right there where the green starts, United Kingdom. We've already studied uh, recently Saul, David, and Solomon, and uh, each of those served in the kingdom for 40 years Solomon that we're going to look at is approximately the years 1015 to 975 B.C. 975 B.C., if you may recall, is the year that Rehoboam took over, and then there was a split in the kingdom between the northern and the southern kingdom. Now let's go to 1 Chronicles 22, verse 1. Then David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of the burnt offering of Israel. And just to set this up, in the previous chapter, David has dealt with the plague from God. God has stayed that plague because David was willing to offer a sacrifice here. And as he does so, we're at the, uh, the threshing floor of Ornon. You might see that in chapter 21, verse 28. The Lord saw this and was willing to stop the plague And then David said on the heels of this event, I believe, David says, verse 1, this is the house of the Lord God and this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. I particularly like the way the English Standard Version words this because it says the word here. And I would emphasize in verse 1 that David is saying here is where the house of the Lord should be. And here is where the altar of burnt offering should be. David's not coming to this conclusion on his own. With the Lord's help, he's coming to this conclusion. And you might reference here, we won't go back there, but Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 4, when Moses was getting the people ready to go into Canaan, he said, "'Listen, when you go into Canaan, the tabernacle belongs where the Lord shall choose.'" You remember that phrase the Lord shall choose. It's not up to them to d- decide where that's going to be. And I would tie that in with a phrase like this in verse 22 in or, or chapter 22 verse 1 this is where the temple should be. This is where the house should be and this is where we should worship God. Now David commanded verse Two, David commanded to gather together the sojourners that were in the land of Israel. He sent masons to hew out stones and so forth. All these things that we're beginning to see that are describing the work that David had to uh, do to prepare for the temple. Now David, we'll see, was allowed to gather these resources, but he was not actually allowed to build them. He was allowed to gather them, collect them all, get them ready, and then we turn it over to Solomon and he builds. This is not something that David was allowed to do. Now let's go on down to verse 6. Verse 6, he called for Solomon his son, charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. And David said to Solomon his son, As for me, it was in my heart to build a house under the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly, and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build a house unto my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to thee, who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his enemies round about, for his name shall be what? What is the meaning of this name? Peace. Peace. Isn't that interesting? Whose choice is it not only where the temple should be, but who should build the temple? Whose choice is that? It's God's choice. Whose choice is it what his name shall be? It's God's choice, isn't it? God makes it very clear, doesn't he, what he wants from us. Verse 9, his name shall be Solomon. I will give him peace and quietness unto Israel in all his days we'll look more about that later but let's go on to verse 10 he shall build a house for my name he shall be my son i will be his father now that's an interesting phrase one that we've heard before if you recall in 2 Samuel chapter 7 2 Samuel 7 David god came to David and he corrected David david said i want to build to the lord a house so god comes to david and says no david I actually will build of you a house. You're you're not allowed to build a house because you are a man of warfare. So God says, no, I'm actually going to build of you a house and a kingdom that will last forever. Verse 10, I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. You might make a note there to go back to 2 Samuel 7, one of the most prolific key verses in the Old Testament where we have the lineage of Christ narrowed down to such a point we know it is from the kingdom of David. And we know, by the way, that it will last forever. Do earthly kingdoms last forever? No. Verse 11, now my son, the Lord be with thee and prosper thou and build the house of the Lord thy God as he has spoken concerning thee. So we say verse 10, or rather verse 6, he begins to give the charge to Solomon. And I believe this is appears to be a private time. And that's in contrast to what we'll see later where it's before an assembly. But this appears to be given to Solomon in a private type setting. And he says, You are chosen by God, obey and be strong. And there You are in a peaceful period of time for the kingdom of Israel. Now let's continue on and let's go on down to verse, uh, well, let's go down to verse 14. Now behold, in my affliction I have prepared for, or in my low estate, some of your versions may say, I have prepared for the house of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold, a thousand talents of silver, and a brass and iron without weight, for it is in abundance, timber also stone have I prepared and that, that thou mayest add thereto. You see, David's not going to do it all. Solomon is expected to add to all of this labor and material. Moreover, there are workmen with thee in abundance, hewers, workers of stone, timber, all men that are skillful in every matter of work, of the gold, the silver, the brass, the iron, there is no number. It's just countless. It's a multitude. Arise and be doing, and the Lord be with thee. So see, we have not only does David give him charge, But David's providing here for the temple, getting everything ready as far as labor, materials. And I would add to that a peaceful time because of David's warfare, because of David's conquering. This was a time now of peace. Now let's go on down to verse uh, 17. David also commanded all the princes of Israel to help Solomon. So Solomon is certainly not on his own. He has leaders under him that are to help facilitate this. Is not the Lord your God with you? And hath he not given you rest on every side? For he hath delivered the inhabitants of the land into my hand. And the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. Now get this, verse 19. Now set your heart and your soul to seek after the Lord your God arise therefore build the sanctuary of the Lord to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God into the house that is to be built to the name of the Lord now verse 19 let's tie that in with verse 1 we saw the effects of what <clears throat> seems to be implied here in verse 1 here is where the temple should be verse 19 set your heart to bring the ark the, the tabernacle. The tabernacle is in Gibeon. We'll see that in the next week, next week's study. So they're not together. David had done well by taking the ark and bringing it back close to Jerusalem, but at this time it's not there in the house of God, in the tabernacle. So I think we're seeing that the plan of God is to have the ark back into, verse 19, into the house of God where it should be, where it should be at any time. So the idea is to bring the house of God and the ark back together where they should be. Now let me ask you well, before I do, let's, let's look, let's back up here just briefly and look at the, the amount of gold, materials, and things that were brought about. Actually, I just want to look at just the gold. It's just enough to look at the gold itself. In verse 14, how many talents of gold, just gold, were prepared for this endeavor? hundred thousand you know what a hundred thousand is i don't i had to look it up and i had to do some research on this to understand exactly what we're looking at here and i don't take these numbers to be scientific fact these numbers actually change even today based on the value of gold but let's look at a talent of gold today Talent of gold today, the weight of a talent is approximately 75 pounds. Taking the current spot price of gold, which is $1,802, you can see the value of talents here that was set before us. Let me multiply that for you in case you don't have your calculators handy. One talent of gold is $1.9 million dollars. That was September's value. Putting this, these numbers, a talent in today's understanding, 1.9 million dollars. And how many hundred thousand talents did he say he had? A hundred thousand. Hundred thousand talents of gold today. Now set your eyes on that and let that sink in for just a minute. Hundred thousand talents of gold in today's. If we have a some type of concept of what that is, 197 billion, B, a billion with a B, billion. You may have heard in recent days they're talking about building a new Titan Stadium, and it's going to be about they estimate what two billion dollars. As massive as that is, and as much as that's going to take, it's going to be two billion dollars. Now then you compare that to this figure here. Two billion versus what? And this is just the gold. We haven't included the silver and all the jewels and all the iron, all the timber. This is a great undertaking, isn't it? Great undertaking. We can't even really perceive how great this is. I made a comment just a moment ago, and again, don't take these numbers to be scientific. And uh, if you want to back into those, please do so. And Before we go to chapter 28, I want to make a couple of notes here. Maybe a thought question. A nugget for you to take with you. In verse 19... What we have described here is an admonition that David is giving him, now set your heart and your soul to seek after the Lord your God. He doesn't say go to the nearest university or the nearest place of of trade school and understand how building works. But in order for you to be successful, you need to set your heart and your soul to seek after the Lord your God. So I ask you the question, is this entirely a physical endeavor? No. Sometimes I think we overstate it by talking about the Old Testament as a law of fleshly commandments, and it is. And we emphasize that. And sometimes we overlook the spiritual. We talked about in class Sunday about circumcision of the heart in Romans chapter 2. You remember that that was actually something that was discussed in Deuteronomy? Moses told the people, You need to circumcise your heart. I thought it was a circumcision of the flesh. Yes, it was. But Moses is teaching them something far greater set your heart, circumcise your heart. So, this is not entirely a physical endeavor where, where Solomon needs to understand how a building is put together and how it works, how it's constructed. You might also recall Psalm 127 which says unless the Lord build the house they labor in vain who build it. Actually I think the application there is for much uh, for fathers as he goes on to talk about the fathers that have their quiver full and they throw their darts at the goal and they reach that goal. So Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And that has such a broad application, even an application here as well. I also want to make the point here, as we talked about in verse 9, the idea that Solomon was serving in a quiet time, a peaceful time. If you'll go back in history and think about history and really delve into peacetime and wartime, you will find that most often peacetime follows a significant manifestation of power, be it military power, whatever. Let me word that again. I'll say that again. Peace almost always follows a significant manifestation of power. What do we have with David? David. King David had a significant manifestation of power. He conquered all these lands. God gave him victory left and right, and he expanded the kingdom. And then we have a subsequent peacetime. We can see that when we look at kingdoms of the world. When there's a sig- I'm not saying kingdoms are good in what they do necessarily, but when there's a significant manifestation of power. There is relative peace that abides in a place most often. And let me ex- extend that even one step further. We are citizens of a kingdom of peace. Who is it that came conquering for us? Jesus Christ, didn't he? Jesus came conquering and overcoming and we can live in a peaceful kingdom. All right, any thoughts on chapter 22? Yes. You might be turning to chapter 28. In just a minute, we'll go over there. And uh, Bruce.
1: The admonition in in, uh, verse 19 is is the same scene throughout the scripture. Daniel prepared his heart Ezra prepared his heart. Nehemiah prepared his heart. And Jesus talked about in his parable of the sower uh, that our hearts need to be prepared in order to receive the word. In other words, the word only grew and prospered and bore fruit when that soil was prepared, when all the rocks were taken away, when the thorns and thistles were taken away, when it was planted in the proper Uh, depth and in the proper soil rather than on the wayside or haphazardly and so that admonition rings true today in everything that we put our hand to for God Mm -hmm. if if we're going to serve God and be pleasing to him our hearts have to be prepared and that takes a lot of work
0: yeah sure does. garden a garden takes a lot of work soil prepared takes a lot of work as well first chronicles 28 First Chronicles 28, this seems to be somewhat of a larger assembly. It seems to be limited to me to the rulers. There's quite a number of rulers that are in the kingdom that David brings together. First Chronicles 28 verse 1, David assembled all the princes of Israel, the princes of the tribes, the captains of the companies and so forth, the rulers, the officers, the mighty men, even all mighty men of valor unto Jerusalem. Then David the king stood upon his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren, and my people. As for me, it was in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of God. I had made ready for the building, but God said unto me, Thou shalt not build a house for my name, but thou art a man of war. We go on down to verse 5. We see once again that he mentions that Solomon is a chosen, chosen by God to sit upon the throne of the kingdom of Israel, and verse 7, again, the allusion to the promise in 2 Samuel 7, verse 6, rather, uh, he said, I will, he shall build my house, talking about Solomon and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, I will be his father. That, by the way, is also, if we, I'm reminded here of how Hebrews 1 verse 5 uses that phrase, I will be to him a father, he shall be to me a son. This day have I begotten thee, which talks about the resurrection of Christ. And that's why we can we can tie 2 Samuel seven, and how do we know that that's talking about, ultimately talking about Christ? Well, make a note to go to Hebrews one verse five and tie those two together. You'll see how they're tied together, talking about Christ. His kingdom will last forever, verse seven. And again, Take your seat here in the assembly. It's all the rulers of the land. They're gathered here to receive instruction, if you will, from David, to understand what it is their goal is to do and understand what their charge is now in front of all these people. Verse 9 Thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind, for the Lord searcheth all hearts. Here again, we have the idea of the hearts. How important is this going to be in making sure that Solomon's kingdom is good? Prepare the heart. It's it's more important. We've seen all the resources that David has gathered together. But even all that work pales in comparison to the need for... Solomon to prepare his heart to seek the Lord and his commandments. Verse 9, continuing, The Lord searches all the hearts, understands all the imagination of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee, but if thou forsake him, he he will cast thee off forever. Take heed now, for the Lord hath chosen thee to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Reminds me of the charge that Joshua is given before he goes into the land: take courage, take strength, be, be strong and courageous, and do it. Now we'll catch up on our uh, outline here, verse one through eight. We see the assembly before the officials of the land, and then in verse nine through twenty-one, the addresses Solomon here. And I think maybe we look could look at it this way he addresses Solomon with all this crowd all this crowd of witnesses here so we can all understand what it is that we are uh, uh, given to do the endeavor that we have set before us now verse 12 I want you to take notice he gives him the pattern of the temple in verse 11 Verse 12, he says, the pattern of all that he had by the Spirit for the courts of the house of the Lord. So David is passing this off to Solomon, saying, here is the pattern. And where did he get that pattern? From God. He got that pattern from the Holy Spirit. So is God leaving it up to David or Solomon's choice what to do, how to do it? No. The pattern of all that he had, we'll repeat verse 12, was given by the Spirit for the courts of the house of the Lord, for the chambers round about, for the treasuries of the house of God. And it goes into all this detail from verse 13 through verse 18, all these things, every little detail is worked out for the candlesticks, for the lamps, for the tables, so forth and so on. And then we come down to verse 19. He says once again, all this, said David, have I been made to understand in writing from the hand of the Lord even all the works of this pattern. Now why would I emphasize that this is shown here that it needs to be made according to the pattern? Why would we emphasize something like that in a Bible study like this? It's always required us to do it by the pattern, which is under the broad category of what? If we do it by the pattern, we are doing it with his authority, aren't we? We understand the authority of God. He chooses where the temple is to be, how it's to be made, who's making the temple, who's building it, everything about the temple. Now let's bring that forward to us. How do we know how to worship God? Do we know how God wants to be worshipped? Yes. He has told us exactly how he wants to be worshipped. We know. We can go to the New Testament and understand that. Solomon knew what he was supposed to do. We know what we're supposed to do. We're not here just at anybody's whim, worshipping God in the way that we choose Now let's uh, think just a moment here about some people in the past that have done the same. You recall in Genesis chapter 6, who was it that built an ark according to the pattern? Noah. According to the pattern that God showed. In Exodus 40 verse 16, who was it that was shown exactly how to build the tabernacle? Moses, he was shown how to build the tabernacle according to the pattern, Exodus 40, verse 16. And here in 1 Chronicles 28, verse 19, Solomon again has that same admonition, build it according to the pattern. It's so simple if we just listen to what God tells us to do and how God tells us to do it. Now it continues once again here in this assembly. Verse 20, David said to Solomon his son, Be strong and of good courage, and do it, and fear not, neither be dismayed. How many times have we already seen that tonight? Set your heart, be strong, be courageous. How important is that going to be in building the temple? Much more important than having hewers of stone and the best kind of timber and the best kind of gold. If he doesn't set his heart, then the people will not set their heart, and then everything falls apart. Verse 21, Behold, there are courses of the priests, the Levites. In the next chapter, we'll show us about the Levites. At this time, there are 38,000 Levites who are set ready to do their work, every man willing and able and skillful in the manner of work that they're to be doing for the work of God, for building the temple. Any thoughts on chapter 28? By the way, uh, you can do this in other study, but Hebrews chapter eight, verse five, talks about the pattern, the pattern of authority that we had, Moses had in building the temple. And he makes a comparison in Hebrews 8 verse 5 about what we follow is far greater than the temple. Let's just go there for just a moment. Hebrews 8 verse 5. We serve that which is a copy or we, we serve that which is a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. Talking about Moses even as Moses is warned of God when he's about to make the tabernacle. See, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern that was shown thee in the mount. Now, let's also make note that Moses here was building the tabernacle by the pattern which God showed him. But we are part of the new covenant. So, go on to verse 6 here. He says, but now he hath obtained a ministry more excellent... By so much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which hath been enacted upon better promises. See, we serve that which is greater. We serve someone who is greater than Solomon. And we are part of a temple that is greater than the temple that Solomon worked on himself. Again, yet another reason why it's important that we go back and understand about this physical temple and bring it forward to us when we started the New Testament so we can even more fully comprehend how great the kingdom of God is and how great he is. All right, chapter 29. David continues before the assembly, Solomon my son, he says, alone whom God hath chosen is yet young and tender, and the work is great, the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God, I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God, the the gold of the things of gold, silver and all the stones and the iron and so forth. Verse 3. Moreover, also, because I have set my affection on the house of my God, seeing that I have a treasure of mine own of gold and silver, I give it unto the house of my God over and above all that I've prepared. So David is saying, I've got all this prepared, this large amount of resources, yet I want to give of my personal belongings something to God. So we continue, verse 4. What he gave was 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, the prized gold, precious gold, 7,000 talents of refined silver, wherewith to overlay the walls of the houses of gold for the things of gold, and so forth. So David himself is making a personal contribution here in verse 4 of 3,000 talents. That, if we use the same calculations as we did earlier, that's about $5.9 billion in today's value of gold. Just gold. Not including the rest, the silver and so forth. So this, we see David's generosity, his love for the Lord, his love for this work by his generous Contributions to the Lord's work here. Verse 6. Verse 6 through 9. Is it any surprise that another group of people follow suit? By seeing what David has done, what do they do? They follow suit. They give contribution as well. Verse 6, the princes, the captains, rulers... All of these people involved in the king's work, they offered willingly. They gave, verse 7, they gave for the service of the house of God of gold, 5,000 talents, 10,000 derricks, silver, 10,000 talents. We go on down to verse 9. Then the people rejoiced for that they offered willingly because with a perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with great joy. There's a great work to be done. There's a great heart to contribute to this work. David could say, well, I've gathered all this magnificent amount of resources. Isn't that enough? I'll just keep my money here to myself. No. It's kind of like the sacrifice that he gave at the threshing floor of Ornan. He, he wanted it to be of his own. He wanted it to be a sacrifice, and that's what he's doing here. He's giving of his own for the work of God, and it is no surprise, again, that the rulers, the officials follow suit and do the same thing. Verse 10, David begins a beautiful prayer in verse 10, and uh, we will just have to summarize this prayer But if you would imagine as you've taken your seat in this assembly and you've seen Solomon charged with the work, you've seen the pattern of the temple, now you've seen the contribution, the great contribution that is offered for the temple, and then what ensues is a prayer to God. Verse 10, David prays for the assembly. He says, be thou Blessed be thou, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. So he begins by praising God himself. God, you are to be praised for for all of this being possible. For us to be allowed to be your people and to be able to build a temple. Then in verse 13 and through about verse 15 or so, he says, Where does all this come from to begin with? Our ability to do this came from where? Verse 14, came from God, came from you. Verse 14, who am I that what is my people that we should be able to offer? David is a leader of Israel at this time, the great nation, powerful nation. And he says, who am I? Who are we to be able to offer to you these things? We've given these things, verse 14, to to you and of thine own have we given thee. In other words, he's saying, we understand that these things are really yours, God. They're really yours. And he goes on to talk about, verse 15, we're strangers and pilgrims and we can't really detach ourselves from our possessions until we really understand that we're pilgrims and strangers. We have to understand that before we can be willing to to offer like David did, because I just, it's not mine anyway, God, it's yours, and that makes it easier for us to give. David is saying "These, these things, you are the source of these things. Now, verse 17 through the end of the chapter, we're talking again, once again, about that heart about the charge to keep the Lord's commandments. Verse 17, I know also, my God, that, we, that thou triest the heart and hast pleasure in uprightness. So a little bit more here at the end of the prayer about the idea of being upright. Have your heart prepared, have a pure heart, have an upright heart, a heart of righteousness. In other words, we can't live any way we want to and give abundantly for well, what does that do can i live any way i want to and give abundantly it doesn't mesh does it it doesn't fit david is saying we need to have upright hearts verse 17 and we come to thee with pure hearts. so dividing david's prayer it's a prayer of praise he begins with praise Saying, God, you're the provider, you're the source of all that we have. All that we're giving you is yours anyway. We're just giving it back to you. We've been stewards, and we do so hopefully with a pure and upright heart. Any thoughts on chapter 29? At the end of the chapter, Solomon is anointed. Well, actually, let me highlight this as well. Verse 21, uh, they offered that day a thousand rams, a thousand lambs. Big uh, worship to God here taking place before this assembly. This is an important time for these people. And in verse 22 and 23, Solomon is anointed king. seems to be... Uh, the second time here that he's anointed, we'll see next week where we go back and see actually where he was anointed. It's sort of an emergency situation to uh, offset what Adonijah had done. But here he's anointed king. Verse 25 is noteworthy as well. The Lord magnified Solomon exceedingly in the sight of all Israel, bestowed upon him such royal majesty as had not ever been seen before by these people in Israel. And David dies. I want to bring this forward as well in this chapter and think about 2 Corinthians chapter 9. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we see a lot of the attitudes that we're to have in giving. We're to have the attitude of being willing, first of all, to do it generously and to do it cheerfully. Do you think those attributes described what we have seen take place here in this assembly today in these chapters? I think it does. So there's a good parallel, I think, between this chapter and 2 Corinthians chapter 9 where we see our attitudes in giving. We praise God for the ability to give, acknowledging to god that it is yours we're just temporary stewards of what you have given us anyway it's yours we're giving it back to you and a footnote to that we can only have that attitude with the attitude of being pilgrims and sojourners. we're not attached to this world And then we do so with an upright heart. And I might add a thankful heart. And this is a cycle, continuous cycle. Once we give, we don't worry about running out. God supplies. He continues to supply the seed and the resources that we need to give once again. And then when we give once again, we don't worry about running out again. Because what's going to happen? Well... Here it goes. God's going to keep supplying us with what we need. And it's just a cycle that keeps on. And that's what we see in 2 Corinthians 9. And I think that's what we see here as well. All right. Appreciate your participation. Again, remember to get one of the uh, schedules in the back. And please read 1 Kings 1 and 2 for next week.